All right, yeah. Don't mind that hand clap there. That's a good place to put it, isn't it? Well, this morning we're beginning a new series called The Afterlife. And today specifically, we're looking at the biblical descriptions of heaven. Uh, the question many of you may have this morning is this, why study on the subject of heaven? Well, let me ask you this simple question. How many of you have ever been on a vacation in which you kind of studied up on where you were going? I, I know many years ago, I was able, had the privilege to take a group of people to Israel, and we uh, studied up before we went about what we'd see and how it would play out, what we could expect, uh, what the climate would be, and, and all those things. I think many of you probably had some type of vacation where you kind of studied up on it. Well, let me just say this. What about this place called heaven? If you know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, that is your eternal destiny. Uh, it's much more than a vacation. And so why is it that we wouldn't look ahead? Why is it that we wouldn't look further down the road to see what is going to be our future? Now, when I go on vacation and my kids and even my wife make fun of me, uh, I plan everything out. If we go to a place that have parks, we're, I've got it all scheduled, which part we're going to attend, what we're going to do, we're going to come back to the hotel, we're going to take a nap here, we're going to go back out. And I got it all laid out. We're going to spend pool time at this point. You know why? Because uh, this is where I'm a lot like Gary. I, I, I'm kind of cheap. I want to make sure we get our money's worth on this vacation. <laughs> but the question is this. Why study up on that? Why? I mean, it's so important. It's our eternal destiny. It's much more than vacation. So turn in your Bibles to Revelation chapter 20. Revelation chapter 20. Some of you in, in, the, in this room love the book of Revelation. You're like, all right, he's in the book. He's in the book. Revelation chapter 20. We're going to look there. Let me give you some names of heaven. Do you realize that heaven is mentioned or, or reference to heaven is mentioned over 500 times in the scriptures? We hear titles of heaven like the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of the Father, the joy of the Lord, the great reward, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of Christ, the house of the Father, the city of God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and many of us know this place called paradise. More than any vacation destination, it should literally be a place we long for and are homesick for. Now, why would you be homesick for heaven? Well, let me just tell you, if you know the Lord, it, it is your home for eternity. And so therefore, I think many of us will say, yeah, I, I'm a little homesick for this place called heaven. Let, let me share with you a very important statistic. If you'll look on your outline there, the statistic in 2015, this may shock you, a Harris poll revealed that only 64% of Americans believe in an afterlife. Believe it or not, that's 20% lower than from 2015. It is amazing how far we've gone in a decade, isn't it? Either forward or backwards, however you want to look at it. So what is heaven like? The real question, really when you think about it, is which heaven? Now for some of you, you're shocked to hear that. But did you know that the Bible talks about three types of heavens? There's three heavens that we find in Scripture. So, so it's really the question is not which, the question is which heaven, but where do we go when we pass away? I think many people want an understanding of that. Well, the Bible says, if you know the Lord, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, look here on the screen, we are confident, yes, well pleased rather, to be absent from the body 
and to be present with the Lord. So we know that when we leave this body behind, where are we? We know for certain we're with the Lord. But where? But where? The question remains. And so the first place that we see is, that, look on your outline, we have what you call uh, intermediate heaven. Intermediate heaven. And, and for all practical purposes, I believe that place is described in Revelation chapter 4. And I think you'll find it there in Revelation chapter 4, intermediate heaven. So the present heaven is, is this whole idea of possibly paradise. Paradise. A place we will go until the resurrection of our bodies. So the intermediate heaven is a temporary stop on our way to a more permanent place. As I said before, it seems from Revelation chapter 4 that the throne of heaven is part of this intermediate heaven. Jesus told the thief on the cross, do you remember what he said? That on that day, he would be present with him where? In paradise. After our time in this intermediate heaven, what's next? Well, believe it or not, there's a secondary heaven. It's called the millennium heaven. The millennium heaven. And that's mentioned in the book of Revelation. So where is or when is this millennium heaven? If you look at chapter 19 of Revelation, what you find in this chronological order of which I believe Revelation is written, you find the end of the tribulation period at the Battle of Armageddon. How many of you have heard of the Battle of Armageddon? So the nations of the world line up to come against Israel, which... Jesus intervenes at that point. So Jesus comes back at that point. He defeats the armies of the world. And it is there that he sets up his kingdom. And many believe it's called the millennium uh, uh, heaven. And so look at Revelation chapter 20. Look at verse 4. It says, And I saw thrones, and they sat on them, and judgment was committed to them. Then I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for their witness to Jesus and for the word of God, who had not worshipped the beast or his image, and had not received his mark on their foreheads or on their hands, and they lived and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. But the rest of the dead did not live again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is he who has a part in the first resurrection. Over such, the second death has no power. But they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. Now, I think many people, when they look at something like this, they say, you know, I've never heard that before. And and by the way, we could look at those three verses there and break out in all kinds of ideas about how things are shaping up there in those verses. I don't have time to do all that this morning. But the thing that I want you to see is that we will be ruling and reigning with Christ for a thousand years. And the Bible calls this what we think is the the millennium heaven. Now, the the Old Testament kind of gives us clues as to what this thousand years will look like. Now, now think about what, so so here's what it could look like. In Joel chapter 3, look here on the screen. It says, and it will come to pass in that day that the mountains shall drip with new wine, the hills shall flow with milk, and the brooks of Judah shall be flooded with water. A fountain shall flow from the house of the Lord and water the valley. Sounds pretty peaceful there, doesn't it? And then Isaiah chapter 11. This is something many of us have probably known since children. It says, given a description of what we believe is this time, the wolf shall dwell with the lamb, the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, the calf and the young lion and the fatling, uh, fatling together, and a little child shall lead them. 
did a little research on where it says a little child shall lead them. It's, it's, it could be interpreted a little child shall play with them. Kind of an interesting place, isn't it? It goes on. It says the cow and the bear shall graze. The, their young ones shall lie down together and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play by the cobra's hole and the, the weaned child shall put his hand in the viper's pit. The only thing discouraging about what Isaiah is telling us, I'm, I'm looking forward to all that bliss, is snakes are evidently going to make it. I don't like that. I don't like that. I came around the corner the other day at the house, and this big old six-foot black snake was sitting right there staring at me. I was like, <gasps> anyway, don't like snakes. Isaiah 35 says this, the wilderness and the wasteland shall be glad for them, and the desert shall rejoice and blossom as the rose. We see all these descriptions, and many people would say, okay, the Old Testament descriptions could be this, could be this, could be that. But, but I think Isaiah is definitely talking about this 1,000-year reign here that we find here on earth. Now, after this millennium heaven, the enemy, if you read the scripture, you look at how it plays out, the enemy is eternally bound. The lost, those who do not know Christ, will be condemned to hell. Then we come to chapter 21. And in chapter 21, we find several things. That's where we find, look on your outline, the eternal heaven. The eternal heaven. It is at this time that time has now ended and eternity begins. So what will eternal heaven be like? Well, look on your outline. First of all, we have the, a new creation. A new creation. In Genesis 1, here's what it says. In the beginning, God created what? The heavens and the earth. Now, now, what's interesting about that is he created something out of nothing. It appears, based on Revelation chapter 21, that he's going to do a very similar work. A very similar work there. He's going to do it again. So look at Revelation chapter 21. Look at verse 1. It says, Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth. Now, if you're not familiar with the language of the book of Revelation, when it says, now I saw, it's talking about the apostle John or the disciple John, as you would know him. And, and, and he is there and he's having these visions and he's had them for some time now and he makes his way. The whole book of Revelation is his vision of what God has, has shown him. And so we have it there. And so, so in Revelation, he says, now I saw a new heaven and a new earth. What he's saying here is, a brand new work. How many of you like new stuff? You like new stuff? You, you know what's interesting? Um, I bought one car, one new car in my life. I always buy used cars. I think it's, you get a better deal with a used car. That's just me. Some people like the newer cars. The only thing I like about a newer car, I don't like the price. But I love what? The new car smell. Does not not, oh man, that is so. So you know what I do? Many times when I buy my used cars, did you know they have a spray <laughs> called new car smell? <clears throat> yeah, the car wash introduced it to me. I was like, where do you get this stuff from? <laughs> and so what I do is I, I remember the truck that I drive now. I was so proud to get it. Got a great deal on it. It didn't smell anything like a new car. I'm just going to tell you when I got it. But I'm, I'm, I promise you, the first thing I did is I went to the car wash. I said, oh, by the way, put the new car smell in this one, please. It's just something about that new car smell. How many of you have driven junk before? You ever driven junk before? I remember we had a, back, our first car was a 7, 73 Beetle. How many of you remember those old Beetles? 
Oh, man, I'll tell you, it was fun, i tell you. Anyway, <clears throat> you know, they didn't really have any air conditioning. Mine didn't anyway. And the heat came, I don't know where it came from. You had something, anyway, it was crazy the way that car was laid out. But, but the car was a piece of junk. The back floorboard, we couldn't let the kids really sit back there because there was, it was rusted through. <laughs> You could, you could drive down and pick up roadkill if you had to, you know. It, 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 it was not a good car. Matter of fact, there were times in which things would break right in the middle. We're in it. We're, one day we're sitting at a light, and Tina's beside me, and she's sitting there, and something happened to the seat. We don't know when that happened, but anyway, I took off, and guess what? The whole seat went back. She fell to the... <laughs> I mean, it was just one of those kind of cars, and, and I'm just going to tell you, it was a piece of junk, I'll, I'll tell you, what happened after that is we bought a, a newer car. It was a Honda Accord. You can't go wrong with a Honda Accord. But anyway, we got that. And I'm just going to tell you, it, it felt like Christmas. I mean, to tell you, no more roadkill pickups, no more. I mean, it was just, this is it. The headlights, you remember, would pop up when you turn them on. I was so impressed. It's like, wow. Put new car smell in that, and I was good to go. But the thing is this, we like things that are new. We like things that are new. Did you know there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth? How many of you are tired of driving this rundown car we call this world, we call this life, we call the, where we find ourselves now? How many of you are ready to trade up? Trade up with us? Exactly what's going to happen. Something brand new. Getting rid of the fallenness and the curse. It says, now I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Now, here's what's happening. We have another new creation or the old creation renovated. If you were to read Romans chapter 8, it seems to support the renovated view that creation will be restored. It seems to point to that. But in 2 Peter chapter 3, in a place many people wouldn't expect this language, what you find, look here on the screen. Here's what Peter writes. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise and the elements will melt with fervent heat. But the earth and the works which are in it will be burned up. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of the Lord, because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt away with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, his promise, look for new heavens and new earth in which, this is key, in which righteousness dwells. How many of you are looking for a place in which righteousness dwells? Not only dwells, but prevails. Are you looking for that place? I don't know about you, but I tell you, it's hard to watch the news today. It's hard to look at what's going on around us. It's hard to, it's hard to, to get your mind around what's being accepted and tolerated that wasn't accepted and tolerated just 10, 15 years ago. It's just hard to watch. And what we find here is, I don't know about you, but I, I'm still re relatively young. I still got some years on me. But I tell you, if the Lord came back, I would not be disappointed at all. I tell you, it, it's something that we should look forward to. It's something we should be homesick for. But here's what we need to understand. The point of the matter is verse 1 of chapter 21 is basically the whole idea that chaos and disorder will be no more. Will be no more. 
So look on your outline. We see the heavens restored. The heavens restored. Of course, the heavens, the atmosphere, purified. And by the way, what, what does the Bible say about the enemy? He ruled and reigns the air. He's prince of the air, all that. Where he ruled. The celestials will be restored. The sun, the moon, the stars, the planets. Now, I, don't, I can understand why the earth needs to be restored. But I haven't figured out why these other things need to be restored. But it's all going to be restored. It's all going to be made new. Not only that, but we see the earth restored. It's the whole idea of the land. The curse will be reversed. No more disease, destruction, decay. No more thorns and weeds and hopefully no more insects. At least that's my wish list. Our snakes, yeah, that too. But then we see the sea restored. The waters. In, in chapter 21, the last part of verse 1, John writes this. And by the way, no more sea. It seems to be a footnote because it kind of sticks out a little bit. Uh, some people say it means no more damage and fears caused by the sea. Do you realize before we understood that the wor world was not flat, that everyone was terrified of the sea? Some people still are terrified. I heard about a young man that was attacked by a shark just yesterday off the Carolina coast and all that. And so we still have these ideas. Or it could, be, it could mean when he says there's no more sea, no more disorder, violence, unrest caused by the sea. Or simply, this could have been John's footnote. Think about where he was when he wrote this. He was man on the island of Patmos. And it could be that he's standing on the, on the shores or sitting on a rock by the shores and, and he's writing all this and he's like, oh yeah, no more of this, me surrounded by this sea here. Either way you look at it, what you're finding is he's talking about something being restored. Not only a new heaven and a new earth, but also look on your outline, a new city, a new city. In Revelation chapter 21, I want you to look at verse 2. It says, then I, John saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Now, it's interesting in verse 2 when he says, I, John, saw the holy city. He's talking about New Jerusalem. Now, a lot of people don't realize this, but the book of Revelation was probably written sometime after 90 A.D. That means John is, is, a, is a much older person at this point. Do you know what happened 20 years before 90 A.D.? Jerusalem was ransacked. The temple was destroyed. Jerusalem laid in ruin from what we can tell. And so John is not only excited about what's coming, he's, he's looking back to what was just happening in the last 20 years ago. The, the, the temple's been destroyed. God's holy city's been ransacked. And all of a sudden he said, but there's a new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God. So Jerusalem, it appears... Eternal heaven, when we look at eternal heaven, Jerusalem is heaven's capital. The city at the center of the eternal heaven. It's a place of buildings and streets and inhabitants and, and activity all around. That's how the Bible describes it. And so as we look into this, look on your outline. The appearing described. And we see, look on your the last vision. One of the last visions that John sees in Revelation chapter 21. Skip down to verse 9. Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls filled with the seven last plagues came to me and talked with me saying, come, I will show you the bride, the lamb's wife. Now the statement or the phrase, the bride, the lamb's wife has always been a picture of the church. 
It's a picture of the church. But, but here's what's a picture of the church. It's, it really is a picture of a Jewish wedding. It's the whole idea of a betrothal period in which a, a young man will ask for a, a young maiden's uh, hand in marriage. And, and basically, there's an engagement period. And that young man will go, and she will stay, and she will prepare for the coming marriage, and he will prepare for the coming marriage. And, and then, uh, many times, a bride is not sure when it's going to happen, but she's always prepared. Tonight could be the night, or today could be the day in which the young man would make his way to her house to take her as his bride. And you see, that's a picture of what we're finding here. That's the reason everywhere you look in the book of Revelation, there's that whole idea of the bride, the, the, the lamb's wife. Now, Jesus said this in John chapter 14. And again, it's a picture of a, of a groom coming for his bride. In John chapter 14, Jesus is telling him all this news about how he must suffer and how he's going to be going away. And obviously, he senses that they're troubled. So in John chapter 14, verse 1, it says this. Look here. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. And here's where it becomes that whole idea of a wedding or a bridal thing. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself. That where I am, there you may be also. It's a picture of the groom coming to get his bride. And, and to set up uh, as a marriage. And, and, and to set up the, the, even the consummation. All that is there. So this is what John is, is showing us. So we see this appearing. Next, we see the arrival. Look at Revelation chapter 21, verse 10. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me the great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God. Now, if you didn't know any better, based on the description I'm getting ready to give you in just a moment, you would think, really, your mind would go there that some UFO is coming down to earth. I'm serious. If you really look at the context and the descriptions we're going to see in just a moment, your mind could go there. But it is the new city coming down. The new Jerusalem seems to be, a, be pictured as a stationary city floating above the earth or coming down from the heavens, which leads us to its description. So look on your outline. We see the much mores, what we call the much mores described. The light, the light of the city. Revelation 21, look at verse 11. It says, having the glory, her light was like a most precious stone, like a jasper stone, clear as crystal. Now, here's what's interesting. It says the city having the glory of God. That is, we're going to find out a little bit later, and it's alluded to here that the, the light comes from the glory of God. Now, have you ever wondered what the glory of God really is? We're told to bring glory to God with our lives as part of our worship. But, but really, here's what it is. The glory of God is the fullest expression of who God is and his attributes. So therefore, this new city, this, this eternal heaven, listen, it has a picture, it is a picture of God, we could say, in all his glory. But really, in all his brilliance, in all his attributes, on display Right there with us for eternity is the light of God's glory. Next, we see the walls, the walls of the city. Revelation chapter 21, look at verse 12. 
And she had a great and high wall with 12 gates and 12 angels at the gates and names written on them, which are the names of the 12 tribes of the children of Israel. Three gates on the east, three on the north, three on the south, and three on the west. On the west. Now go ahead and pull that picture up of the, yeah, you see there? There's a picture of maybe the old city there now. What's interesting about all that is the fact that have you ever wondered why walls are necessary in heaven? You ever wondered that? Why in the world do you got to have such big walls? What are you trying to protect yourself with? This is heaven, right? Well, it's not really the whole idea of protection as it much as it much is the glory and the majesty of what the city all, uh, is. You see, to those in the first century and those even before that, if you were to look at any city and you were to try to describe her majesty and what she was all about and whether she could handle what needed to be handled, she always had a wall around it. It was just something that came with the territory. And so the way they would have seen it in the first century, oh, it had a wall. Oh, I bet it was beautiful. I bet, I bet the walls were high. It's exactly the description we see here. Some people say they've taken the measurements and they said the walls could have been as much as 216 feet thick. Walls made of jasper. Gates made of giant pearls. Now think about pearls worth more than anything in the ancient world. If you were to go back to the ancient world and say, okay, what's the most? It would have been a brilliant pearl. Not gold, not silver. It would have been the pearl. It's kind of interesting when you think about it. Some people say, wow, pearl. Well, it symbolizes suffering. Did you know that a pearl is only made through suffering? It's through agitation. It's through something that the oyster has to deal with. And, and the way it copes with it is to, it creates the pearl, something of beauty. It's a picture of who? It's a picture of Christ and what he did on our behalf. And everyone who comes into that city has to go by way of what? The suffering of Jesus and what he did. So we're talking about perfect protection. Twelve gates named after the twelve tribes of Israel. Many people say it's a reminder of the covenant-keeping God. Groups of three gates facing in four directions, north, west, south, and east. Next, we see the foundations of the city. In Revelation chapter 21, look at verse 14. Now the wall of the city had twelve foundations, and on them were the names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. Now that's interesting. You've got twelve gates named after the tribes. Now you have 12 foundational parts to the foundation named after the 12 apostles. Now what's interesting, if you look at the end of verse 14, it talks about the apostles of the Lamb. I want you to notice that everything that makes up the new city is themed around what? The sacrificial Lamb of God, Jesus himself. Everything's themed around that. Next, we have the dimensions of the city. In Revelation chapter 21, look at verse 15. And he who talked with me had a gold reed to measure the city, its gates, and its wall. The city is laid out as a square. Its length is as great as its breadth. And he measured the city with the reed 12,000 furlongs. Its length, breadth, and height are equal. Then he measured its walls, 140 cubits, according to the measure of a man, that is, of an angel. And, and here's what's interesting. You see these dimensions? Many people have tried to, tried to draw out what this might look like. And do you know what? Based on these dimensions, it could have been one of two things that is actually there that makes up the city. It's either a cube or it could have been a pyramid. A pyramid. 
Kind of interesting when you think about it. A cube or a pyramid. It's large. 14,000 miles long, 14,000 miles high. Excuse me, 1,400 miles long, 1,400 miles high, 1,400 miles wide. Over 2 million square miles. Now, I want, to sh- I want you to understand, it's more than half of the U.S., from Maine to Florida, from New York to Denver, Colorado, basically. And so if you will, go ahead and show that next picture. If you were to say, okay, let's lay the city on top. Now, that's, that's more of a rectangle. It should be more of a square. It, it, it would cover about half of the U.S. Isn't that amazing? The city is coming down out of heaven. Now, let me show you what it would look like over Israel. Because if it, if it winds up being over Jerusalem or in that area, that's kind of what you're looking at. Now, that's pretty impressive. You can see it from the satellite. <laughs> and, and so you've got a city coming down. Next, we had the materials of the city. Revelation chapter 21. We see the walls. The Bible says in verse 18, the constructions of its walls was of jasper. We see the city itself, the buildings, and the city was pure gold like clear glass. The foundation of the city, what you find in verses 19 and 20 is all kinds of precious stones. So pull up that next picture, if you will. These are the stones that are represented in the foundation. So when you see the foundation of the city, there's the color schemes that you have. Show the next picture, if you will. Uh, if you stack those on top of one another, whoop, we lost it. Or I lost it. Oh, where's over here? Anyway, <laughs> what you have there is you have uh, the 12 layers of the city. Now, that's beautiful, isn't it? But again, you got all these things in your mind as you, as you think about these pictures. And then show the next scene, if you will. I don't know if you can see this or not, but you have the 12 layers and then you have the city on top, uh, either in a cube fashion or, or a pyramidal, however it works out. And then in Revelation chapter 21, you have the gates of the city. Look at verse 21. This is what we were talking about earlier. The 12 gates were 12 pearls. Each individual gate was, one of, was of one pearl. Now look at a picture of what that could look like. Look at this next picture here. Now, I mean, that, that's amazing. Now, it, it kind of, I, I don't mean for it. Some people, that looks kind of cheesy. Not when you see it in its brilliance, okay? Uh, it's pretty cool when you see it in its brilliance. And, and that's kind of the pictures that the Bible is describing about this city. Next, we see the river of the city, Revelation chapter 22. Look at verse 1. And he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding from the throne of God and of the Lamb. So we see the river of the city. But then the trees of the city. Revelation chapter 22, look at verse 2. In the middle of its street, and on either side of the river, was a tree of life, which bore twelve fruits, each, each tree yielding its fruit every month. Now, how many of you would like to have that in the backyard? Yeah, it would be pretty cool. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. Pretty cool. Look at the picture here. If you look at this last picture here, you see a possibility of what it could look like. You have the river, the trees on each side, and then, of course, the picture you have there. Now, it is a place of much more. <laughs> Would you agree with it? Okay. How about the no mores? It's interesting. When we, when we start talking about the much mores, it's hard to get our minds around some of that. Even through the pictures, it doesn't give it credit as much credit as it needs. 
But what about the no mores? It's interesting. What's in heaven when it relates to the no mores? We can identify more with that than we can with the much mores. And so what are the no mores? They're described. First of all, there's no asphalt. Is that a kid saying amen? It sounded like it. Didn't it? Revelation chapter 21. Look at verse 21, the second part of it. It says, And the street of the city was pure gold like transparent glass. That's pretty pure gold, isn't it, when you can see through it? Streets of gold. Guess what? Look on your outline. There's no temple. No temple. Revelation chapter 21, verse 22. But I saw no temple in it. It's interesting that John writes it in such a way that he's almost perplexed by that. Why would he be perplexed by that? It's because the temple was everything that they knew about God. It represented everything they knew about God. How forgiveness came to man, uh, his majesty, the holy of holies, his throne room. Everything seemed to center out of that. But, but John is saying, but you know something? Now I think about it. I saw no temple in it. For the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. There's no need for the temple. It's his presence that is there. Next, there's no luminaries. Luminaries. Revelation chapter 21, verse 23. The city had no need of the sun or the moon to shine in it. For the glory of God illuminated it. The Lamb is its light. And the nations of those who are saved shall walk in its light. And the kings of the earth bring their glory and honor into it. That's kind of an interesting statement. That the kings of the earth bring things to it. Okay, and we'll talk a little bit more about that in just a moment. Verse 25, its gates shall not be shut at all, at all by day. Uh, it shall not be shut at all by day because there's no night there. And they shall bring the glory and honor of the nations into it, into the city. Next, there's no defilement, no defilement. Revelation chapter 21 verse 27 says this. For there, shall by, for there shall by no means enter into anything that defiles or causes an ab abomination or a lie. But only those things which are written in the Lamb's book of life. No crime. No garbage, evidently. <laughs> no traffic. That would be a blessing, right? Anyway, we don't see anything that defiles. Now, let me give you a footnote. You can study this yourself. It appears from Scripture... That there will be other cities in the eternal heaven. Look, you write this down. You can see for yourself. Jesus told a parable in Luke 19, Luke chapter 19, verses 12 through 27. And it appears that you not only have this holy city that comes down, the New Jerusalem, which is the capital at that point. Guess what the Bible implies? That there's other cities associated with it. It almost implies that there's other kingdoms associated with it. It says that the kings will come from where they are to bring homage to that city. Have you ever thought about who that is? What does the Bible say about us? We're going to do what with him? We're going to rule and reign with him. Pretty impressive when you think about it, isn't it? How many of you would like to be ruler of Cleveland County in the eternal heaven? <laughs> I'll, I'll take the job. No. Anyway, I'd rather the coastal plain. If, never mind. Let me move. There's no more sea, so there's no. And let's move on. How about this? No curse. Revelation chapter 22, if you look at verse 3, there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and his servants shall serve him. What does that mean? 
We're going to have jobs. We're going to work. We're going to have responsibility. Some of you are like, I thought heaven is sitting on a cloud playing a harp. <laughs> no, no. There's so much more to it. The good thing about serving is it's going to be very fulfilling. How many of you ever had a job or at least a day on your job where you came home, you felt fulfilled? You felt like, man, that was a good day. Some of you said, absolutely, had never had one. <laughs> Some of you know what I'm talking about. Can you imagine every day being that way? No tolling, no, no being tired, no weariness. How about this? Here's another one. There's no night. Revelation chapter 22. It seems like this is repeated it's time and time again in these chapters. There shall be no night there. They need no lamp nor lamp of the sun. For the Lord gives them light. And they shall reign forever and ever. How many of you remember when Paul is on his way to Damascus? And a heavenly light shone. Is a manifestation of, of the Lord himself. Of Jesus. How many of you remember it came during the noonday, noon part of the day? And the description you have there is that it was, it was so bright. That the sun, the description you have paled in comparison. Kind of interesting when you think about it. That's the kind of light you're talking about. So you might have to buy you some Ray-Bans or something when you're there. No, I'm just kidding. Okay. I'm just having fun with it, okay? Let's move on. A new communion. i got to hurry. Revelation chapter 21. Look at verse 3. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with all men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. The words tabernacle and the phrase dwell with them is the language of communion and fellowship. Live forever with him. You ever had those moments with the Lord, maybe in your quiet time? Maybe the Lord just got a hold of you during a worship time here at church or wherever it may be. Maybe in your car. And you felt so connected to the Lord. Felt so clean before him. And man, you're just like, man, I just, I wish I could be like this. I wish it could feel like this all the time. Did you know there's a time where we'll feel like that all the time? When we come before him. Revelation 22, 4 says this, they shall see his face. And his name shall be on their foreheads. When it says they could see his face, do you know what's so amazing about that? We couldn't see it before. Couldn't stand in his presence. We'd be destroyed, but now we'll be able to see his face. Not only that, his name shall be on our foreheads. How many of you are tired of all this talk about identification? I identify with this, and I identify as that, and all that kind of stuff. Did you know that this whole idea here is a form of identification? It's the whole idea that his name shall be on their foreheads. And it's that whole idea of identification. It's really the whole idea of, of perfect communion and perfect fellowship. No more veiling. No more cursed world. Next, we have a new constant, which really speaks of permanence. Again, we have the no mores. Revelation 21. These are the no mores that we can relate to. Verse 4. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death. How many of you like that talk? No more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. Here's a good one. No more pain, for the former things have passed away. You know what it literally means? They are no more. They are no more. Here's another new constant continues. We see the much mores. Revelation 21, look at verse 5. Then he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. You know what he means by that? It means you can count on it. It's going to happen. 
John, now think about what John was doing. He's having these visions. John took the most precious things of our present reality to describe the mundane things of our future reality. Think about what he did. Here's what I believe. Will I be disappointed if there are streets of gold and uh, walls of jasper and all that? No, I will not. I think that would be amazing to see. But I'm here to tell you, I think what he's trying to describe is something you really can't put in words. And he did the best job that he could. I think it supersedes those things. Because he had to have a description. Here, here's, a, here's a good way of looking at it. Native tribes in New Guinea are still being discovered. Take them from their current reality. They've seen nothing modern to a place like maybe the Taj Mahal or even Disney World. How would they describe those places if they went back home? What would they do? They'd take up the greatness of those things that they see and they would try to possibly attach to that. See, that's what John's dilemma was. How do I really describe this place? Well, I'm going to take the best things of this world to talk about the mundane things that are there. So here's the application. Will heaven be your reality in eternity? Is this your place? Is this your home? And then here's another question. This is one that I don't think we think about enough. Do you long for heaven? You know when I longed for heaven when I was younger? I've told you this before. When there was a paper that I had not written yet that was due the next day. When there was a test I didn't want to take. Oh, Lord, if you're going to come back, come back now. We know you're coming back, but come back now. And then as I got older, for some of you, maybe it was waiting to hear back from a test that you had about your health. Or, or, or discovery of something that you know is going to be difficult to go through. That's when we long for it, isn't it? But wouldn't it be cool if every day we woke up and we just longed for heaven? Long for heaven. The end to temptation. How many of you are sick of temptation? I, I despise it. The, it's coming to an end. The end of suffering and pain in this world. I haven't suffered nowhere near what people are suffering, in, even some of you in this room. You know, one of the hardest things you do as a pastor is come along beside someone who's laying there who is suffering, who's suffering, or they've been knocked out where they don't even know they're in the room themselves. It's hard to watch. Some of you had to watch that up close. A place, this is, I didn't think of this till this morning. Listen to this. A place where there is no need for hope. I've, I've never thought of it that way. It will be a place where there's no need for hope. What gets us by when we're struggling the most? Hope. When we get there, there won't be no need for it. That's a pretty good deal right there, isn't it? The end of evil and ungodliness and the beginning of perfect righteousness, the new, uh, the new and perfect communion with Jesus, all that awaits us. So my question to you is this, do you long for it? Would you stand to your feet? Father, we just come to you right now. We just thank you for your blessings. We thank you for what you've shown us here this morning. And Father, your word is so rich, so full. And Father, if there's someone here today who doesn't know you as our Lord and Savior, they, they don't know for certain that this will be their eternal home. I pray today will be the day they give the heart to you, Lord, that, that, that they can long for this place. 
Father, I pray for if there's someone here today and maybe they know you as their Lord and Savior, but maybe they've been way too comfortable living in this world to the point that they've been grasping for everything this world has to the point in which they just don't long for heaven like they need to. They're so caught up in this world. Father, I pray you'll bring them back. Father, we pray you'll have your way in this invitation, Lord, as we lift up our praise to you this morning. Lord, we thank you for what you're going to do. In Jesus' name, amen.